Morning, church. Thank you, worship team. These guys practice long and hard, and it's just real. That's what I like about it. Thank you. Thank you. Good. Well, last week we started on our summer journey called Water Walking, a series on faith and risk. If you didn't have a chance to listen to that, the audio version is available online. So, hi, Steph. Yay. Okay, Siri, that's enough. Hmm, that is really weird. Oh, I know. I said the word series. Yeah, that's why. Okay. <laughs> and we begin by defining some words. And if you have your sermon notes, would like to follow along, we welcome you to do that. Uh, we're talking about risk. So if this is a series on risk and faith, what does that word risk mean? Risk. Risk. And so uh, we have to uh, have a common language in order to get to the same destination together. So it's important that we define words. Risk is exposure to the chance of injury or loss or a dangerous chance or undertaking. And as we begin to look at this word, we see those definitions, and that will be the basis for uh, when you hear the word risk, what we're meaning. A dangerous chance or an undertaking that involves perhaps some uh, sacrifice, perhaps some discomfort, uh, but is it worth it? And then we looked at the word risk taker or the phrase risk taker. What is a risk taker? It's a person who is willing to do things that involve danger or risk in order to achieve a goal. It's someone who understands what risk is all about but is willing to lay it on the line in order to achieve a goal. And I think that's important, that last part, in order to achieve a goal. So that separates us uh, from the adrenaline junkies or the thrill seekers who do what they do uh, simply for the sake of doing it and the way that it makes them feel. Uh, A risk taker, on the other hand, uh, has a goal in mind. And we talked about that last week, the fact that we got to sit down, we got to count the cost. Is this worth it? Is the risk worth it in order to achieve the goal? And so we laid that foundation uh, last week. Now, What about you? How many in this room would consider yourself a risk taker? You want to raise your hand? Okay, good. How many of you are seated next to a risk taker and wish they weren't? (laughs) Okay, yes. Risk taking. Risk taking. What about God? Do you think God is a risk taker? Yeah, we began looking at that last week. I believe that God is a risk uh, taker. I think he took a huge risk when he gave angels and humans a free will. And in that free will, this included the opportunity to reject him. Not just once and for all, but day by day and moment by moment. As we look at today's news, it's immediately evident that fallen angels and Fallen human beings use their free will to commit terrible deeds every single day. That's a part of the risk that God took in giving us 
a free will and the opportunity to make choices. Seems to me God took a huge risk with you and with me. Do you agree with that? He took a big risk. He took a big risk. On the other hand, most of us do everything we can to reduce the element of risk in our lives. And I think that's good. I think that's right. In many ways, we should reduce risk. For example, we wear our seatbelts, we watch our cholesterol, we plan for retirement, we exercise, we wear a mask, and we may use birth control. Now, I know couples who have decided against having children altogether because of the possible peril that it will bring to the next generation. I know folk like this. They simply aren't willing to risk the heartache that children can bring. There are just too many what-ifs, so they made the choice. I won't take that risk, and I'm not going to have children. I have these in my own family. Too risky. And the world that we're bringing them into is too risky of a place. Therefore, I've made a choice not to take the risk. See what I'm saying? Hmm. Not so with God. God has risked much with us, his creation, even though he knew about the heartbreak and suffering and pain that would follow your disobedience and my disobedience. He chose to have children. For as many as who believed on him, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. Are you a child of God? How do you know? He said so. But how do you become a child of God? To all who received him. Okay, who is him? And how do you receive Jesus? <laughs> Getting your theology correct? No. <laughs> right? How do we receive Jesus? Yeah, that sounds spiritual. How do you do that? Believe in him. Let him sit on your heart. That's an interesting phrase. Rebecca? Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God has raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Dan, you agree with that? Make the decision to follow. And, and that requires faith, right? We put Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. I appreciated that verse on the screen, right? And uh, that's what it's all about. It is by faith you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is gifts of God that no one should boast, right? Yeah. You, you left out one key word, though, that I think is important. You're still not there. Nope, nope. The first words in red, if you have Jesus' words in red in your Bible, in the Gospel of Mark, say, blank and believe the good news. Repent. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, I knew that. I knew that, right? Okay, repent and believe the good news. There has to be this turning away from our old life and a turning to God to receive his new life, all right? And it seems to me that God took a huge risk when he had children. He made a choice to risk on our behalf. God did not make Adam and Eve obey him. 
He did not force them to do that. Talk about a risk taker. It was a staggering risk. It has staggering consequences. He led us into his story. That's the kind of God he is. He is so good. He led us into his story. And the choices that we make today will greatly impact the storyline tomorrow. The choices that we make today. God is a risk taker by nature. He is a risk taker by nature, yet because ours is a land of abundance and convenience, fewer and fewer people are really risk takers. But thanks to the second nature, because of the second birth, when we are born from above or born again, as Jesus said, we're born spiritually. We now have a divine nature. That divine nature and character is like God's. And if God is a risk taker by nature and character, what do you think we should be like? Comfortable and lethargic? God took a risk with you. He took a risk with me. He is a risk taker by nature. So begin to think about God like that. Yet, is that the way we're living our lives? Maybe we need to be a little bit more like our Heavenly Father. Maybe. With God as our safety net, we can take a chance in order to achieve a goal and do something great for the kingdom of God. Peter did it, and he walked on water. Now, our passage for the series is found in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 32. If you have your Bibles or an electronic device, I am not putting these on the screen, this passage. I will read it for you, but I encourage you to get something out and actually look at it, engage it, interact with it. It's important that we take the Word of God, and we aren't just looking at it passively as if we're watching a movie. It's got to be engaging in our heart, right? So, I will be reading to you. I'm going to read different versions uh, each week just to give it a little different spin or twist. So, let me read for you. As soon as the meal was finished, he insisted that the disciples get in the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the people. While the crowd dispersed, he climbed the mountain so he could be by himself and pray. He stayed there alone late into the night. Meanwhile, the boat was far out to sea when the wind came up against them and they were battered by the waves. At about four o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. They were scared out of their wits. A ghost, they said, crying out in terror. But Jesus was quick to comfort them. Courage, it's me. Don't be afraid. Peter, suddenly bold, said, Master, if it's really you, call to me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come ahead. And jumping out of the boat, Peter walked on the water to Jesus. But when he looked down at the waves churning beneath his feet, he lost his nerve and started to sink. He cried, Master, save me! Save me! Jesus didn't hesitate. He reached down, grabbed his hand. Then he said, faint-hearted, what got into you? The two of them climbed into the boat. The wind died down. The disciples in the boat, having watched the whole thing, worshipped Jesus, saying, You are God's son for sure. (laughs) So this will be the passage for our summer series. Last week we left the disciples in a boat in a terrible storm, as you recall, on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus, he's up on a mountainside praying all alone. And so here's what's happening. The weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed. If not for the appearance of the Son of God, they would all be lost. 
they would all be lost. Very good. Okay. For those of you younger, you don't know what he just did, but that's okay. It's okay, right? Of course, Jesus knew about their situation long before it happened. That's the kind of God that we serve. He didn't need to rush away from his important time of being connected and directed by his Father as he went up to that mountainside alone uh, to pray. And I'm amazed at how easily I can be pulled away from prayer. Number one enemy, technology. Often it's in the shape of a what we call a cell phone. I don't know if you're familiar with that term, uh, but that thing is a distraction. Can there be anything more important than prayer and taking the time to talk to the God of the universe, this one who is so good to me, who all holds all things right in his hands? And you know what? The storm that the disciples were facing, the storm that you are facing in your heart right now, that thing that's just churning inside of you, it's in his hands. This God who took a risk on our behalf. The disciples have been on the water for at least nine hours. Now you've got to understand this. They've been there against the storm over nine hours. Now these guys were fit. Uh, most of them were fishermen. They, they got this idea, but they're exhausted battling the severe squall. It's interesting to know that Jesus waited a long time before, as in verse 25, he went out to them. He went out to them. Now, uh, understand this. Jesus often waits. He doesn't come on our time because his ways are not our ways. Lazarus had been several days dead before Jesus went to Bethany. And often Jesus will wait until there are no more options left for you and me before he intervenes. The cards have all been played. There's nowhere else to turn. And often that's when he chooses to make his appearance. But rest assured, he will come. Now, the night was divided into four watches or shifts. The New American Standard Version says the fourth watch of the night is when he came. That was the time between 3 and 6 a.m., just before dawn. How about it, morning people, right? Isn't that a great time? How many of you are morning people, like uh, 4, 5, 6 in the morning? Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, we've got you. Yeah, it's because we're old and we can't sleep. Uh, so the point being, that's when he shows up. Jesus came, verse 25, walking on water. Now, that's kind of cool in and of itself. We're not going to talk about that today, but uh, that's pretty cool. Now, he couldn't physically see them from the mountainside. Uh, I shared with you last week the uh, Sea of Galilee. Uh, Oftentimes, we picture that as large, so we put that up there. It's about half the size of Lake Winnebago. So it's not all that big, right? But the disciples have been pushed out now by the storm into the middle of the lake. They're way away from shore. Jesus could not see them from where he was. He couldn't see them through the stormy darkness. He couldn't see them, but he knew exactly where they were. Now think about that for a moment. God's vision is not like ours. Here's what Solomon said in Proverbs. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere. Everywhere. And here's what the psalmist said, 
I would interpret it, God has embedded this GPS device in each of us. And he knows exactly where we are. He knows exactly where you are. Here's what the psalmist said. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, even the darkness will not be dark to you, for darkness is as light to you. Do you think Jesus could see through the darkness and the storm? He could see very clearly. He knew exactly where they were. He knows right where you are. He knows right where you are. Even if we're pretending we're not there, he knows right where you are. And he's looking at the storm that's going on all around you right now. He can see through your storm and he's looking right into your heart. And that's what he's going for in this moment. He's going for our heart. We'll see that by his appearance. I don't know what your storm is. But I know you're in one. And God knows that too. And he's not phased by it. And he can see right through it. And you're not too far away. And although you might feel really, really lonely right now in the midst of your storm because no one really understands this, no one gets it, he does. And he's good. Oh, he's so good. We will never be in a place where Jesus cannot find us. There are times when I'm fearful, when I'm anxious, when the situation seems hopeless, when it seems so overwhelming in my life, life can be stormy and painful. It's often frightening. Life is like that. It can be like that. But there's never a storm that is so severe that it takes us beyond our Father's love and care. His eyes are everywhere. He sees. And he's not just watching. He's watching so he can come. Because he knows right where we are. You see, the place of greatest security and peace is often not the place of pleasant circumstances. Understand this, but it's always the place of obedience to God's will. And if we think everything's going well, that, that, that it must be God's blessing on me, be careful, be careful with that. Because the place of greatest security and peace that we can find in our hearts is often not the place of pleasant circumstances. It's the place where we're in the storm. That's where God's peace makes a difference. That's where his comfort is most real, in the middle of the storm, not in pleasant circumstances. When Jesus came near, they were terrified, the scripture says. In their fear, verse 26, they cried out, it's a ghost, it's a ghost. Now this term ghost is a Greek word, phantasma, from which we get our English word phantom, phantom. So you get the idea. In the dark, just before the dawn, they're exhausted. Their hopelessness now turns to horror because they see this shadowy figure walking to them on the water. Talk about freaking out. This is weird. This is weird. So could it get any worse? The storm's about to kill us, and now this thing is coming at us, right? So what did they do? They cried out in fear, verse 26. We know about this by experience, don't we? And you may be crying out in fear right now. There might not be sound coming out of your mouth, but because of the storm, you are crying out in fear. I don't know what's going on here. Where'd this come from? Why me? Why now? Why this? What? And we're afraid. 
And we might not scream out like the disciples did, but we're looking at the storm. We're saying, what do I do? What do I do? What are you afraid of today? Where's the fear coming from right now? Once again, Jesus was testing the faith of his disciples. The storm was howling, the waves crashing against this little boat, yet they knew their master's voice. Now, there was a similar situation that the disciples were in, recorded previously in Matthew chapter 8. Again, they're on the water in the boat. And we read, suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. What? The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Jesus responded, why are you so afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and suddenly there was a great calm, Matthew 8 says. Now, it's interesting to me to note, there he asked the question, why are you so afraid? Now, that's a loving question, a question that he asks each of us. Why are you so afraid? Now, they're early in their training, right? They're just getting used to who this guy is. So he asked them a very loving question. What's up, guys? Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? It's a question that probes the heart. Why are you so afraid? Now, in Matthew 14, he asks a much different, or makes a much different kind of statement. He commands, this is a command, don't be afraid. He goes from, why are you so afraid, early in their spiritual journey, to now being more mature, having seen what Jesus could do, to a command. Don't be afraid. Why the change? Why the change? Hmm. Interesting kind of ponder this. Their faith needed to grow once again. They had seen Jesus do the miraculous. And as believers in Jesus, we must constantly be striving toward maturity, to a growth in our faith. So when the next storm comes, we're handling it much differently. And maybe you're at a stage early in your Christian experience when Jesus will say very lovingly to you, why are you so afraid? It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And he stands up, peace be still, boom, everything stops, right? He didn't do that this time. He says to them, don't be afraid. Did he calm the storm? Uh -uh. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Grow up, he's saying. Grow up. You've been here before. You understand. I can take care of this. Remember what I did back here? Because I did it there, I will do it here. I will take care of you. Trust me on this. Now he says, take courage. Take courage. The most important thing the Bible says about courage is where it comes from. Now, you can be a courageous person, but I want to know the source of your courage. Maybe it's your own confidence, your own strength, your own bank account. I don't know what the source of your courage is, but biblically, the source of our courage makes all the difference. Let me explain it like this. He says, I am here in verse 27. I am here. How could they obey the command? Don't be afraid. Why? Because I am here. I am here. It's a promise of God's presence for those who have put their faith in him to be the basis of our courage. Let me explain this more. A couple of verses from the Old Testament. Moses called for Joshua, and as all Israel watched, he said to him, Be strong and courageous. Sound familiar? (laughs) 
Be strong and courageous, for you will lead these people in the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. That sound vaguely familiar to what Jesus was saying? Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Is he the God of the Old Testament? He is Jesus. He is God. He doesn't change. Right? And the exact same thing he said to Joshua is the exact same thing he's saying to his disciples, the exact same thing he's saying to you and me right now. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I'm here. And if I'm here, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. He may silence the storm. He may not silence the storm. But he is here. Is that enough? Is that enough? Or are we going to demand that he silence the storm? Make the sickness go away. Pay all my bills. Do whatever he needs to do. Hmm. Let me give you one more. From Joshua 1.9. Many of you know this. This is my command. God says, be strong and courageous. Here we go again. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Is this not the exact same phrases that he is using with his disciples in the midst of that storm on the Sea of Galilee? Isn't this the same? God is consistent. And if he's consistent in the Old Testament, he's consistent 2,000 years ago. He's consistent right now, right here. Don't be afraid. Take courage. He's here. He's here. Now, God's speaking. I believe he's speaking to you, to me, your family, our church family. Can you hear his voice? Don't be afraid. I am here. Don't be afraid. I'm here. I'm here. He is for us. He is for us. He will never leave us. He will never abandon us. The storm was still going on around them. Didn't stop in your sermon notes. But Jesus calls them to take courage in order to still the storm that was going on within them. storm's still going on around him. But he's saying this because he wants to still the storm that's going on within them. That we have a choice. Circumstances, not so much, perhaps. But can you hear him say, take courage. Don't be afraid. I'm here. I'm here. Let that come against the storm in your soul right now. Peter was no fool when he said, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water in verse 28. His only hope was to get to Jesus. And Jesus responded with the words, yes, come, come, come on out. He understood it was safer, Peter did, to be with Jesus on the water than to be without him in the boat. And we're going to unpackage that in the weeks to come. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. It's amazing. Peter took the risk to climb out of the boat, to step out of the water, and begin walking toward Jesus. i got to get to him. He just said, I'm here. If you're here, I'm going for you, man. I'm, I'm getting out of this boat, and I'm going for you. Now, only Peter did that. Where were the other 11? We're going to look at them in the weeks to come. But Peter took that risk, and I found that God's usual method for growing an adventurous faith in us is making us get in the boat 
And then he asks us to get out of the boat. He insisted to his disciples, he made them get into the boat, and then he asked them to get out of the boat. And if we are going to have this faith that is vibrant and alive, he's going to ask you and me to get out of the boat from time to time. He's the one that said, get in the boat. Now he's saying, get out of the boat. Make up your mind. No, he's very timely when he does this. Very, very timely. Hmm. The call to get out of the boat involves crisis and opportunity. It involves failure, failure, perhaps fear, sometimes suffering. It's always a task that's way too big for us when he says get out of the boat. It's way beyond what we can handle. But there's no better way to grow into faith than get out of the boat. To partner with God. If he says, come, come. Lord, if it's really you, yeah, come. Step out of the boat. Not all that means for you right now in your life. Because the storms often distract us. And maybe it's financial, maybe it's relational, maybe it's emotional, maybe it's physical. I don't know what the storm is you're facing. But these are risky times. And I'm not sure what some of the risks are that we're contemplating as a church will mean. Taking a risk together. The possibility of relocating back into the city with a whole new mission. Been meeting with the city, with the mayor, the city planner. We're talking through the invitation. They really want us to partner with them. I believe a door is open here. And if that logo says that you passed under connecting with our community, we've got the community asking to connect with us. I think this is absolutely amazing. You're going to hear more about that in the weeks to come as this thing unfolds. Is it risky? You better believe it. You better believe it. The possibility of a new lead pastor as we begin our search. There's lots more risks that we're going to take together. But this I do know. If we get out of our boat, whatever our boat happens to be, and we'll talk about that next week, we're going to have some problems. We're going to have some testing. That's going to happen. I guarantee it. Yeah. There's a storm out there. Our faith will not be perfect, but I'm listening for his voice. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. That's enough. That's enough. I'm here. Next week, we're going to look closer at your boat. But let me close by get you thinking, what is your boat? What's your boat? That place of comfort. Now, for the disciples, it was their only place of comfort and safety in the storm, even though there's things going on around them. The boat was their security in that moment. Comfort zones aren't all bad. You do understand that. Comfort zones aren't all bad. They give us, in life, a sense of stability and security, and we need that. We need that in our lives. But comfort zones can also become a prison to us. They can become a prison. For some of us, our comfort is our own misery. Some of us are comfy, cozy in our own misery. And we're living our lives in a miserable state, trying to make everybody else around us miserable. And that's comfortable. I don't want to be joyful. I like being miserable. That, that's, that's just who I am, right? Yeah, okay, just stay away from me, would you? 
um, because that's not God's plan. We're so comfy in our messed up lives we can't imagine anything different so we become addicted to our own dysfunction and we're comfortable with dysfunction. This is not God's plan. It's time to wake up and get out of the boat and see what God has for us. Our boat can be something very positive. It can also be something very negative. But it gives us a sense of security in who we are. And I'm saying God will rock that boat. He's going to rock that boat. Maybe it's time for something a little riskier. What is the boat we need to step out of so we can walk on water with Jesus? I don't know if you want to walk on water. I want to walk on water. I don't know if I would have been Peter, but I would have enjoyed watching him try it. Right? Or we choose the comfort of our little boat. I like my little boat. We choose this little limited life in the boat alongside with others, cowering in fear, complaining and whining about how the world around us goes straight to hell. Oh my goodness. Isn't that comfy? I think God's asking us to get out of the boat. What will we do? What will we do? So next week, we're going to take a look at the boat in a little more depth. Peter climbs over the side of the boat, jumps over, depending on your translation, right? And he starts walking on water. We're not going to do much with that whole idea of him sinking. That's not the point of this series. But we are going to talk about the fact that risk involves failure. And what do we do with that? Is it worth it? We'll find out. But next week, we're going to focus on that boat. Oh, that boat. What are we going to do to get out of the boat?